arms. Let's change the key. We fall down and we lay our crowns at the feet. Just enter in now with all your hearts. play play that song softly man I just want you to think on those words amen touching the heart of God amen hallelujah we just want to take our needs before the throne this morning amen I'm going to ask brother uh, Mark Sylvester if you would it's brother Mark in the building yes I'm going to ask brother Mark if you would be prepared to take these 
needs before the Lord. Amen. We want to remember Sister Shirley Buchanan. Uh, she's not with us today. Not feeling well. And also Brother Brian McCall. He's having to travel. So let's remember them in prayer. Uh, if you keep Brother Keith in your prayer as well. He's also away from us at this time. Um, I see Brother Stephen and Sister Sarah are in Virginia. Keep them in your prayers as well. Amen. The Paschal family as well is not with us at this time. So if we could remember them in prayer. Amen. Um, if you would keep my my Aunt Sherry in your prayers. Amen. She's uh, in the hospital dealing with a issue in her body. She's very serious situation. If you would just keep her on your heart and in your prayers. We would greatly appreciate that. We're going to ask you to remember Brother Ron Spencer in prayer as well. Amen. Uh, I believe Brother... The Maul family, their little one is not feeling well. I have a note here saying that. If we could remember that little one in prayer, Brother our little Joey. Amen. God would touch him as well. Amen. That's all I have at this time. Do you have any spoken prayer requests? You may have a need on your heart. We're going to pray with you at this time. Come on. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, for another opportunity to be in your house, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercies and you watch over us daily, Lord, to bring us back another time to worship you, Lord, and to sit in your presence. We invite you this morning, Lord, to come, Lord, and to each heart, Lord, as we listen attentively, Lord, to your word, and Lord, we come to find out where we're failing, Father, and what we can do better to serve you. And your word, Lord, I pray this morning will expose, Lord, those areas in our lives that, Lord, maybe we could do a little better, Lord, than we were doing before, Father. We pray, open our eyes that we may see you, Lord, and that we may try, Lord, with all our hearts to walk in your will and to do that which is right in your eyes, Lord, always. We know, Lord, that without you we can do nothing, Lord, and even though we could try our best, Lord, maybe to, to do good, Lord, yet we need you, Lord, to help us, to give us strength, Lord, to enable us to walk this way, Father, because we, in ourselves, Lord, there's nothing, Lord, that we can do to follow your word. It's the spirit within us, Lord, that motivates us, that to help us to walk this way. Lord, we come, Lord, and we bring these requests before you, Lord. We bring Brother Keith, Lord, and Sister Shirley Buchanan. We pray that you will touch them, Lord, and Brother Ron Spencer, Brother Stephen, Sister Sarah, Lord, they're ministering in Virginia. Use them that there be a blessing, Lord, to those brethren there. And Lord, Joey Mail, we pray that you will touch him, Lord, and the, the Paschal family, and Sister Amanda Bilton, Lord, we, we thank you, we serve this morning here, Lord, we thank you for, for touching her, Father. Lord, we look forward to your word, Lord, and we thank you for these men of God that you've given us, that, would, that you've entrusted your word to, Lord, to feed us. And help us, Lord, to, 
Pay attention, Lord. Be attentive this morning to what you have for us, Lord, that we may ponder these things in our hearts that you will speak to us about, Father. And help us, Lord, as we, we go out, Lord, that we all bring to mind these things, Lord, that, that we may practice them, Lord, in our walk, Father. Forgive us of all our sins, Lord. We love you and we want to do always your will, Father. And we pray that you'll bless each one in your presence, we pray. We give thee all glory and praise, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mark, you can have your seat. Have a couple specials for you this morning. Brother Mitchell has a special, and as he's making his way forward, um, have a card here to read for you from Brother Troy and Sister Connie. Amen. It says, Thank you all for the from the bottom of your heart for all the prayers during our son's death. Thank you for the food, the flowers, the messages you all sent on Facebook and the text. We love you all so much. Thank you for the love offering. <clears throat> we can never thank you enough. God bless all of you. God is so good. Love you all, Brother Troy and Sister Connie. And God bless you, Brother Troy and Sister Connie, man. Brother Mitchell has a song for us at this time. And after that, Brother Matt as well. Amen. Dead was 
song. Amen.
It's nice to hear those other verses to that. Amen. I don't think I've ever heard that. Hallelujah. Brother Matt, if you'd make your way at this time. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I had the song I was going to sing right in front of me, and I walked right away from the song. But so I apologize for the pause here, but I just find my song here. I uh, I sing this song a lot. I really love it, though. It means a lot to me, and uh, it seems like. The reason I love this song is it seems like it encapsulates the idea of preeminence. And in good times and in bad. Pardon me? In good times and in bad. It seems like surrender is the key to ever having any kind of true or permanent peace. Sing it with me. surrender 
pastor to come this morning. Amen. I believe hearts and minds are ready for the word. Amen. That's the most important thing. Let's sing the song together as our pastor comes. Fill my cup. 
Sister Amanda, good to have you with us uh, this week and uh, after after an interesting week, but we are glad you're here today, and may the Lord give you strength and a complete recovery. Uh, we are um, thankful for all of you that are here today, Brother Aaron, Sister Trish, good to have you back, and good to see you feeling well, and uh, may the Lord bless you. Uh, <clears throat> Sister uh, Nicole. And uh, God bless you. Good to have you with us today. Um, just a couple of very quick things. Um, Sister Sherry Holly uh, was in the hospital, and uh, she was taken in last night. She had a um, 
bad infection, a complication, and uh, she's, uh, we're going to see whether she's going to be released uh, today or this evening or tomorrow. And uh, if you don't mind just remembering her in prayer, that would be uh, really good. Sister Frida fell this week and uh, just a slippery spot on her deck and uh, injured her knee. And so they're home today listening. And also as well, Sister Greg fell today. Uh, this morning, very early in the morning, and uh, we just, if you don't mind, we just ask you to remember Sister Greg, uh, but going through a, a difficult time, and this has been hard for her to be uh, at home like she is, and, and we sure need to remember her in prayer uh, for sure. Brother Troy and Sister Connie, good to have you here, and uh, may God bless you. Appreciate you being here. We're thankful for uh, the saints in Louisiana getting through. And um, there were uh, all the believers there that I've been in contact with, done very well. And uh, there was damage on the coast, of course, but uh, the believers uh, upstate were, looked, uh, were in good shape uh, by the end of the whole hurricane thing. Uh, Brother Reagan also was uh, taking his service today, the first time he's been back to minister in his service. And uh, so I just uh, texted him this morning and, and uh, told him we'd be praying for him, that the Lord would give him strength. And... Um, also for his daughter, Erica, who started treatments last week, so we want to continue to remember her. Um, September 1st, Caroline Jackson's birthday, right? Sister Caroline, God bless you. September 2nd, Abigail McCafferty's birthday, right? Abigail, how old are you going to be? Twelve years old. May God bless you. September 5th. Sister Karen's birthday, right? God bless you. What? 21 and holding, right? That's, a, that's the right way to say it, 21 and holding. I was going to say you don't look a day over 20. God bless you. Certainly uh, appreciate each and every one of you. May the Lord uh, richly bless you uh, this week in your, on your birthdays. Uh, we have our service on Wednesday this, this week, and uh, be here in church, and we're thankful for uh, the opportunities we have to be able to have service in here. Uh, as a result of, uh, you know, the, uh, the scheduling and so forth and the way that uh, we've been able to conduct service here in the sanctuary, uh, we're going to hold our schedule the same as what we've been doing. Uh, you don't want to mess with something that works. And if we've been able to hold our, our service uh, to this schedule and continue to have church uh, for now, we're going to continue to do that, all right? So we'll have the same schedule of services uh, for, uh, for the future, and we'll see, see if we need to change it up the road here. But if it's, if it's working, I think it's a good thing to, to leave it as it is. We appreciate uh, your attentiveness to... Uh, the instructions and the separation and all the rest of it in order for us to continue to have church. Right, Sister Cindy? She agrees. Now, I'd like to read a little scripture here, and uh, you don't need to turn to it because you know it well. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, Jeremiah talks about the destiny of the children of Israel, and he talks about them and how they're going to leave and go down into Babylon, and they're going to be there 70 years and so forth. And so today our service is tinged with uh, bitter and sweet in that our Brother Aaron and Sister Elizabeth are going to be moving on over to uh, Phoenix. And uh, I guess it's not warm enough here. So uh, they decided to go to, the, to Phoenix. That's been on Brother Aaron's heart to do that and uh, begin a little work over there. So uh, we 
we just uh, today collectively as an assembly, we want to wish them all the very best and just pray that the Lord will lead them and guide them, bless their efforts. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, it just seems like a small thing to be putting seeds in the ground. And, you know, you, you, we have no way of predicting the harvest, but God does. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And so we just, the, best, the very best thing we can do is always uh, commit somebody who feels led of the Lord to, uh, to do something into his hands and that God would breathe upon it and uh, lead them and guide them in his will. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, will I visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then shall ye call upon me, and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I think that's always a comforting thing to know that uh, God ordains our path and then he's able to be reached while we're on that path. Amen. And that's a great thing to know that because none of us know the future. So we just take one step at a time. We take steps in faith and uh, just trust that God will uh, honor those steps. And uh, we, we certainly commit them uh, into God's hands. We, uh, we need to say this officially to the McGarry family that the door always has been open. The door will always be open. And you leave behind friends. I know you're going to go make friends. You leave behind friends and uh, we'll never forget the contribution that Brother Aaron and Sister Elizabeth has made. Even though, uh, you know, there's never been a, we never had a welcome dinner for them, really. So we're not going to have a goodbye dinner for them. (laughs) Or any of the dinners in between. It's so strange. It's just been so unusual, you know, to have a season where we've not been able to fellowship and, and uh, you know, be able to get together and celebrate not only, uh, you know, things in their family related to that, but all the other events and all the other things that have gone on. It's just been so unusual. But uh, as I said, you know, to us as a family here at HBT, the door is always open, and uh, we just appreciate you guys very much. and just trust you'll go forward making new friends and uh, developing new fields of endeavor. So let's stand to our feet. We're going to invite Brother Aaron to come and minister. They're going to be, uh, we're going to have a little lunch with him after service, and then they're going to uh, take off right away, hoping to make Texas by tomorrow night. And uh, so uh, we'll keep you posted on the progress and uh, just pray for them, if you don't mind, over the next couple of days in their, uh, in their journey. Let's sing that little chorus uh, as Brother Aaron comes this morning. And uh, we want to just give him his time and just allow the Holy Spirit to uh, minister through him this morning. I sing praises to you, Lord. Let's sing that together today. We sing praises to your name, oh
John chapter 10. Uh, we, there's a lot in our hearts we'd like to express to you. I, I think at this moment I might just choose to uh, save them for the end. Um, but I will uh, say here at the outset just how much we love each one of you uh, very, very dearly. And uh, it, is, it is bittersweet. And it's a different feeling for Elizabeth and I, I think, in this move, unlike any other move we've made where you feel, you really do feel like you're leaving home in a place that you would just want to spend the rest of your life, just exactly the way that it's been over the last several months. Maybe perhaps we would have wanted to have church more and seen you more, but we fell in love uh, with, the, with the church here, the people, uh, where we've been. And uh, we know we're going in the name of the Lord. We know we're following uh, His will for our lives. So that's the sweet part. Uh, the bitter part is that we, uh, we're, being, uh, we're leaving you. So we love you and always be in our hearts. I feel with Brother Barry and Sister Becky, I don't know if this has ever been said publicly, but I've been told she claims me as her fifth son, and I don't know if I'm the youngest or the oldest, but, uh, yeah, but we have now, and so now that that's out, but within that regards, I've just always felt that Brother Barry and Sister Becky are uh, family to Elizabeth and I, he's been a tremendous mentor to me, and so it's, I know that it's not necessarily goodbye, especially since you've never said welcome, you can't really say goodbye. But uh, we know that they'll always be a part of our lives and uh, be a part of any work or ministry that we have going forward. And so we just really love each one of you tremendously. And Brother Barry, I appreciate you very much and your friendship. And I know that it won't wane uh, or diminish. Uh, it'll just stay, continue to get stronger. So in that part, we know we're not losing anything, just our proximity to each other. But we know one day, one day we'll be together and never separate. We'll say our last goodbye. So John chapter 10 verse 22, and then I'd like to read to verse 33. I, in my heart, I really, what I wanted to minister today is, uh, I, there's just things on my heart I wanted to share with you, and there's personal things that I wanted to say, and then, you know, it's not up to what you want to say, and I just have to preach what the Lord's put on my heart. And I wanted to just take time, you know, for maybe 45 minutes just to encourage you and share personal things, what you've meant to me, and maybe Brother Barry's minister, what his ministry has meant to me. Even what our time here has meant to me. Uh, but, and that's what I wanted to share with you. Unfortunately, it's not this time behind the pulpit. It's not what you want to do. It's what God wants. But he's placed something on my heart that I believe will be an encouragement to you. And we want to stay, just stay in that channel. John chapter 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. 
Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believed not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone again, stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou, being a man, make thyself God. Amen. If we could bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so happy to be together together today as family, to be uh, with one another, and to be gathered around your word. We pray, Lord, as we have this opportunity to look into the scripture and to look into the message of the hour, that you would be the one that would take it, rightly divide it to us, that it would be a strength and encouragement to us. And Father, we're trusting in you to be the one that comes and works on both ends of both the speaker and the listener. And you're able to, by the Holy Spirit, make it applicable to our lives individually in such a beautiful way that one sermon can be so focused and directed on one subject, but yet you can take it and apply it in so many different areas of people's lives and so many different people's lives that we know it has to be you. So we commit it to you now, Father, praying your blessings upon the scripture we've read, upon the remainder of our service. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My title is A Life Lived by the Seventh Seal. A Life Lived by the Seventh Seal. And I want to just pick up in Matthew chapter 11. And I I was in my mind, I feel that maybe even this subject, I may have ministered along these lines here before. We've uh, We've had ample opportunity to minister through the years when we didn't live here. And then living here, just many opportunities to minister over the last nine months. And so we've really bore our burden and shared a lot of things with you. So if there's some familiarity to this, it's good just to repeat some certain themes and express them with maybe a different emphasis. But in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 6, it's when they come to John in prison and his disciples come to him. And it says that when John had heard the things that Christ was doing, and we can see that even Jesus is being challenged whether he be the Christ. If you are, just tell us plainly whether you be the Christ. And he says, well, I, I've, I've told you and you didn't believe me. And then the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And so John hears the works of Christ. So he, and he sends two disciples to go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one that should come or should we look for another? And this is a peculiar question by John because he's the forerunner. And he's the one that had told his disciples, this is the one. But now when he hears how this one is manifesting himself and the way that his ministry is expressing itself and the way that the Messiah is being presented to the people, he starts questioning whether or not this is the one. So it's a very, very heavy statement for the forerunner to make. And it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. 
The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever should not be offended in me. And so Jesus is actually recognizing that even to John, there was an offense as to how the Messiah, the word for that day, was expressing itself. There was a preconceived idea as to the dynamic power that the Messiah would have, the way that his, uh, not just a ministry, but his leadership, his, his rule and his coming upon the scene, how it would be received and how it would look and what it would do for Israel. And so there's, there's an offense even to John that Christ isn't doing things a certain way or way that he thought that he would do them. And Brother Branham picks up on this, and, and just to emphasize this again, Jesus is saying, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Because the manifestation of the word of God for the, the age or the time that it's being manifested is always different than what people expect. There's always going to be offense to it. And in the forgotten beatitude, Brother Branham picks up on this, and he says, Jesus come and showed the Messiah that he was the Messiah, but then something went wrong. John had introduced the Messiah with a fan in his hand, going to burn up the chaff. But he found out the works of Jesus. He was meek and lowly. So it worried him. He didn't know what to say. He thought, now there's something wrong here somewhere. Seemed he had believed the wrong thing. It seemed like it wasn't working right. And Brother Bram is putting this thought process in the mind of John the Baptist, the one who's actually under the spirit and anointing of Elijah to announce the Messiah. And he's getting us inside his mindset and the questions that he's saying. He's saying, now, I thought he was going to come and burn things up. And this was going to be a great transition and a time, a time of change that even in their minds, they thought that Israel was going to be such a dynamic kingdom under their Messiah that actually the Gentiles would come to their light under this rule of this man who is so dynamic and charismatic. He says, it seemed like something wasn't right. It wasn't, wasn't working. I've done something wrong somewhere. And he continues. He says, John thought, well, now I introduced a Messiah that he had his fan in his hand and he was going to purge the floors, take the wheat to the garner. And I told him the axe was laid to the root of the tree and he's going to take all the trash and burn it up. And here he is, instead of a great mighty man like that, here he comes meek and lowly. So it's the second time that Brother Benham uses this phrasing, meek and lowly. The Messiah is supposed to be something great and mighty. Now he says, it's meek and lowly. Now, that language might seem that it doesn't contradict us. We've accepted him as the Messiah. We believe in the power of his ministry and the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we see his strength. We see his power. We see the, uh, the dynamic uh, move of God in the name of Christ, even in our own lives. But yet you have to look at it this way. Meek and lowly was different than the way they thought it would be. It, this, this meek and lowliness is something that was turning him off from what the real manifestation was. And he says, something must have went wrong somewhere, he said. There's no doubt, but something's wrong somewhere. He thought it wasn't right. He became dismayed like many of us do. When we see the things going on, that it isn't what we think it is just right, we become dismayed. Now, I'm wanting to make this very personal to each one of you individually that there's a certain expectation that we could have how a person's life should unfold or how a, a uh, how God should be moving within his church or what church should look like and what it should be doing. And there's certain ways that we think this is the way this should be and this is the way it should be working out. And this is how it's supposed to uh, take place. And Brother Branham is saying that John, when he'd introduced the Messiah, 
then that should have been enough for him to say that whatever the Messiah does is what the Messiah does. And if he's not doing what I think the Messiah should do, he is the Messiah. Therefore, that is, I've got to change my expectation. I've got to change my measure because he is the Messiah. And what he does is Messiah works. And we can ourselves have certain personal things that we get this line item list in our minds of the way things should be. And if it doesn't work out that way, then instead of accepting what God is doing and it's his word that's coming to pass, we want to hold to our list or our expectations instead of just accepting and embracing what God is doing. And it's how we become dismayed. It can be a personality uh a trait where someone builds bridges before they cross them, others burn them before they get to them, or they're always planning things ahead and they get it in their mind. It has to be this particular way. And when that doesn't work out, it crushes them. And they, they experience a loss of something they never even had. Because they just build it in their mind. This is what I want to do. This is the way that it should be. And when it doesn't work out, they sense a grieving over it and a disappointment. And Brother Bram's tapping into that kind of emotional roller coaster, that way of expecting when we see things aren't working the way that we think it would work. He says we become dismayed. Now, in the context of Christ's ministry, his, his works were simple. His ministry was very humble. And it's interesting that the very things that he was doing were not so much... Uh, weren't so attention getters where people say, well, say what you want about the man. Look what he's doing. There still was a way that they could take everything he was saying and doing and turn it to be evil or Beelzebub or a works of another kingdom because the packaging that it was in wasn't something that they were gravitated towards or some, not what they were expecting. So even things that we would think, man, if somebody raised the dead, I'd be on their side. Or if a man could multiply fish and, and have basketfuls left over, you know, don't say anything against it. It was because it was so simple and so humble that even the things that he was doing that ought to at least give somebody pause and say, hey, I wouldn't want to say anything against it. It gave them cause to tear him down and explain away the things he was doing. We've said it a number of times. You know, his coming was not as he, they expected it to be. Now, as I'm wanting to make this personal to you, think about the promise for today. And the word is manifesting itself in your life. Whether you, whether you recognize it or not, the word is manifesting itself in your life. The problem is we have a particular idea of how that word ought to manifest itself. And when we're not quite meeting those marks of what we think it should be, we become dismayed. And we don't realize that in the everyday life, doing what you're supposed to do, the word is being made manifest just the same as it was then when he was on earth. In the message, we have seen his star. Brother Bram says, when Christ Jesus was being formed in Mary, that's when the persecution set in. That's right. That's when her persecution started. And it's the same thing in you. Galatians 4.19 says, when Christ, the hope of glory is formed in you. Christ is being formed in you when you're dying and Christ is becoming life. Watch the persecution set in. Watch trouble start on every hand. Watch the devil go on a rampage. Certainly when Christ is being formed in you. 
Now, instead of getting in your mind that Christ is being formed in you when you begin to walk on water, when you begin to uh, raise the dead, when you begin to multiply loaves of bread and fish, uh, don't get it in your mind that that's what the image that's being expressed, but it's when the Holy Spirit begins to live itself out through you in the way that God intends you to be expressed, in the way that God intends to use you or to lead you, that's when the persecution sets in. When Christ was being formed in Mary, quickly come the king's commandment. All you people, the Christ was becoming a full baby, ready to be delivered. Right then, the great persecution. Now, the baby's been formed for a long time along in the womb. But this, now he's bringing it to our day, the promise for our day. And this is, I want you to make it individually, very personal. He says, but this is coming the last days when the completeness... He's using this, uh, this idea, this type of a baby being formed in the womb. And it's been formed through the church ages. But he says, this is coming to the last days when the completeness, when the fullness of the Godhead, when the fullness of Christ is to be manifested among his people. He said so. He promised it in his word. And when that fullness, you see, there's unusual things begin to happen that he promised. That's the reason our great social lives and things can't understand that. It's foolishness to them. And let me, if I could just interject this, there's many that have the testimony that when they came to the message and they, they left something and were drawn to this by the word of God and the Holy Ghost came and took them out of one way of thinking or one way of living out of the world or even uh, separating from families to walk in this truth. The biggest uh, complaint that many people have against their families that leave a prior religious con- concept or uh, a certain way of worshiping, uh, leaving the world, and they come to the message, the biggest problem they have isn't so much what's happening in church services and the doctrines that are taught, but it's how much it changed your life and how differently you begin to live. That's the part that becomes the greatest offense. If you could just live the same way you always lived, come here, have prayer lines, healings, miracles, signs and wonders, charismatic services, and then just go back and be a, a different person, there would be no offense. It would just be like, hey, you've got your hobby, I've got mine. You like to collect stamps, I like to do paintball, or I like to play golf, and it would just stay within the context of your hobby on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night. But it's when your life is lived differently outside of these four walls, and it's lived humbly, and it's lived sweetly, that's the thing that agitates and aggravates the most. I'm sure that many of even our family and our relatives, if he would just cuss and smoke when we're telling them about this message, they'd feel more comfortable with what we believe. And he says, that's the reason our social lives and things, they can't understand it. It's foolishness to them. Now watch, they're forming a council of churches. Just the time when the churches begin to get to its feet, when the supernatural begins to work. Now they've all went into that group. And now they're going to try to stop this stuff just exactly like it was then. And we know in this hour, the bride is another masterpiece just like the groom. That the expression of the Word of God today, it's not manifesting itself behind a pulpit. It's not manifesting itself uh, uh, um, through just, uh, you know, the writings of Brother Branham, the sermons of Brother Branham, and the books and tapes, as we might use that phrase. It's manifested itself in the flesh of His people, the bride, the same as the groom, Brother Branham says. She's the one that's manifesting the fullness of Christ. He says when it comes to the completeness, when it comes to the fullness, the fullness of Christ manifested among his people. It's not just among the people, it's in his people and through his people. That's the time that we're living in now. 
And Brother Branham's actually drawing a parallel between the first coming of Christ and, if I could say this, the bride coming of Christ. The coming of Christ in the bride, this expression of Christ in bride form. Brother Branham's drawing this parallel of the manifestation of the word and the opposition to it. That when Christ came, he came in a way that was fulfilling scripture. But it was there was uh, and even in the way that it was being fulfilled, that it adds to the aggravation. It added to the persecution. And he's drawn a parallel. The way it was then is the way it's going to be now. The manifestation of the word and the opposition against the word. And it's important that we don't draw in our minds the wrong picture of how this is to manifest. And we could do it on two levels, how it's to manifest, maybe three or many different levels, um, that it, how it manifests in a local church or how it manifests itself globally. But I want you to think more personally, it's important that we don't draw the wrong kind of picture in our minds, how this fullness is going to be made manifest in our personal life. There's, there's certain things that we can be aware of, and it may be more, it's easier for us to identify ministries than it would be even for another Christian in our church or in our families. But we think about certain brothers who labor in the gospel and they preach and they're always going preaching places and signs and, uh, and, and there's things that take place in their ministries of healings and deliverances. We even experience it within this church. An evangelist comes through and preaches like, I mean, that, that was so supernatural. I'm beginning to wonder uh, if they were in my living room today listening to what I was saying. They heard my prayers and we see the power of God and we marvel more that what God did through the ministry instead of just realizing how personal that was to you. How that had nothing to do with the man behind the pulpit. It had everything to do with you. And in many instances, God is so set on getting you a message and speaking to you and making himself personally known to you. It wouldn't matter who stood behind that place in your prayers and your desperation, your desire to hear from God. He was going to use that vessel to speak to you for your benefit, not for the vindication of the man behind the desk. And so we have to get not have this expectation in our minds that when God is moving and the fullness is working and the bride is operating in her power, that it has to be certain things that are always on the marquee, always recognized. Wow, that's powerful. Wow, that's fantastic. Wow, that's mighty. That's awesome. Brother Branham, when he identified the characteristics of Christ that caused the people to stumble, it was the meekness and the humility and the simplicity of him that caused the stumbling. And so we don't want to get the wrong picture even in our own lives that it's got to be to a certain degree. It's got to have a certain look to it. It's got to have a certain power. It's got to be in such a way to where I'm just rebuking devils left and right and the neighbors go to say something and do something. Zip it. Stop. And they go. And you you just live this life of controlling people and speaking things into existence. There's got to be a life first before anything of of that nature can really come to be. And so when we have a, 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 an unreasonable expectation in our mind or we have this wrong picture, it creates, creates pressure for us to try to achieve something or express something or be a certain way. It can happen to a church. It can happen to a, a, a different fellowships that come together. But even in your own personal life, you can have certain expectations of what a message believer ought to be doing and how I ought to be expressing and how I ought to be evangelizing and how I ought to be winning souls or, and the power of Christ being lived out through my life. That if you have the wrong kind of picture for that, then it creates discouragement when you're not meeting your own marks. And then the devil will use social pressure. He'll use criticisms. He'll even use family skepticism. There's a lot of different things he can use. Competition. 
There's a lot of things that can happen where everybody tries to out-miracle the other person or outsign the other person. And, oh, you think that was a great dream? Listen to my dream. And everybody's trying to outsign and wonder one another. And it's all because there's this pressure to try to get you to conform to a carnal idea of what a message believer in this end time ought to look like and how they ought to be living. And so social pressure in these many different avenues tries to pull you away from God's way. And it'll make us feel like we have to prove ourselves. Because you've got to prove that this is the word. You've got to prove that you're overcoming. You've got to prove that these things are happening. But you just yield to God. He's the one that does the proving. Listen, we know there's a bride in this hour has both the mechanics and the dynamics. But he's the dynamics. You can't manufacture that. You can't try to call that down out of heaven. You can't try to prove that you've got that. That's him. And he's the one that comes and he's the dynamics to it. And so we're not out trying to prove ourselves that we're better than some or we're as be- good as we think we are. Or we're as good as this says that it is. We, we don't try to uh, get into that idea of proving ourselves. We have to just live sweet, humble lives before God, staying true to the word of God. And then he comes behind it. He does the proving. When we start looking out at what other churches are doing and what other people are doing, and we think, oh, well, that that makes it seem like they're better than us. Don't worry. If they are, that's great. It doesn't matter. You can only be what God's asked you to be. You only want to be as full as God wants you to be full. I believe that even in the Scripture, there's different places where Jesus, even he says, he uses the parable, go out in the highways and byways and compel them to come, that my house may be full. That didn't mean so cram-packed where everybody's just shoulder to shoulder and you fit everybody in there that needs to be in there. But I get the picture of a table that's spread and there's name tags there. And there's a certain people that need to be at this at this gathering. And he knew all along who was going to be there. He just had a, a different means of compelling them and getting them to come. Until the ones who are supposed to be there are there. And that's when the feast would come to be. So my house full didn't mean jam-packed cars parking all the way down the street. Neighbors calling the cops because there's a house party going on. And the place is packed. No, it's just who's supposed to be there is there. When it speaks of uh, go and multiply and replenish the earth, it wasn't that it would be so jam-packed where one person's occupying a square foot, but until it's complete. Until I have this image in my mind of how it's supposed to be. And so you just want to be the hundredfold, the hundred percent of the potential that God's asked you to be, whether it be a church or a family or an individual, and not compare and measure yourself by what other people are doing out there. Because that will pull you into feeling discouraged because you're not good enough, you're not meeting the marks, or then you try to prove yourself so you've got to be better. And listen, the big trap that happens is if you think you're better than everybody else, you're going to spend your whole life trying to prove it. And when you lack the assets to prove you're better, you have to tear the other person down in order to prove your point. So you never want to engage in this idea, we're better, we're bigger, we're more holy, we're more righteous, we have more signs and wonders, we're more dynamic. No, you be what God has called you to be and ordained you to be. In modern events made clear by prophecy, Brother Branham quoting John, the, uh, speaking of John the Baptist, he was a wild man down there. And in the way that... It's spoken as they're speaking about him. He was a wild man down there, some screaming maniac. All but those disciples that he presented to Jesus Christ as a church. Oh, it's beautiful. He presented his disciples to Jesus Christ as a church. There it is. John made ready a people. How many did he have? You could count them on both hands, your fingers. How many that John represented to Jesus when he come? Now, what about his second coming? Again, he's drawn this parallel. If you think about who John presented to Christ, you say, well, that's just that's just a handful. 
how could this be the Elijah who's only presenting a handful to Christ? And you think, well, if this was the Messiah, he only had 120 in his church when it was all over. Because it's the metrics that people use. It's, it's the parameters they think that God has to operate behind. It's the way that they think it ought to be. And he's saying, now he's looking at Jesus and his first coming. He says, now what about his second coming? Think of it. But when the true Bible believers see the word so openly vindicated for the age, they believe. There's no way to keep them from it. Believe it. They even seal their testimony with their blood. They believe it. It's then, it's to them, the predestinated, that for that certain age that sees and believes. And, and that's the identifying characteristic. We have to be careful that we don't get away from the identifying characteristic of those who are followers of Christ. They believe Christ. They are, we call ourselves for years, believers. And we should never lose the sense that what we are is believers. Because if you lose, the, the, the emphasis is not on the faith and believe only. Then we don't become believers, we become manufacturers or impersonators. Instead of just realizing that as a believer and anchored in the believing, then I become a doer and it's going to be the word living out for me. Not me trying to prove that I'm a believer and me trying to prove that I'm a, a Christian. Me trying to prove that I'm this end time bride with the fullness. I'll just stay in the channel that he's called me to be in. I am a believer. That's it. Listen, let's not let's not co-op something from the world and change the theme song of this message. The theme song that the the angel Lord identified himself with was only believe. And so we don't need to adopt a new hymn. We don't need to adopt a new theme song that that becomes a buzzword. When we talk, we quote some some song out there, some uh, line from a chorus or some bridge and some song. But rather we have this theme in our hearts when we think about this word. It's only believe. Now, I want to take this direction, and this is where the Lord, in this thought, this theme that he's uh, placed upon my heart, and I, I apologize, I might not even be all there physically and mentally, certainly not at my best emotionally. And so if it seems a bit uh, jumbled up, I told Elizabeth on the way to church today, I said, I feel like I've been overseas for two weeks and preached two dozen times. I'm tired. I, my tongue is real heavy. My eyes are heavy. I was about to fall asleep in the office. It's been a grueling week. But uh, I just, the Lord directed these things to me, and I just feel that I have to stay with this, not having time maybe to have studied this as much as I wanted, except just to put these quotes together in this way. It's a thing that Brother Bannum goes through, and I want to do it in the seals, when he preaches the seals. And I want to start with the day that he preached the seventh seal. And he begins that morning with question and answers on the seals. And I just want to identify a theme from the seals to see this principle, how that... And I, and I want to maybe just put the two things together. That on one hand, you have the, sev- the seals, the seven seals. Now, Brother Ram says the seals are Christ. So we never want to be dismissive of what the seals are. And then, and then the theme that Brother Ram begins to identify at the time of living, uh, preach, well, let me say it this way. The theme of Brother Jesus' ministry that Brother Ram identified, the meek and lowliness. So if you went to a Bible scholar and you talked about the book of Revelations and the seven seals and the sealed book, they would say, my, think about that event and how incredible that event would be and what it would represent maybe just in the chronology of the book of Revelation, because this is a time of a great 
uh, cataclysmic change that's taking place and things are shifting, things are changing. The seal's been opened. My, that's going to be something very, very significant, very powerful. Perhaps the whole world is going to be identifying the moment the seals are open. And then you have another, something that's just meek and lowly. Then you have your own little, your life, your personal life, your corner, wherever you live. And you work and you come home to a family and the wife takes care of the children and she teaches school and we all have our little lives all over. And this is a church that's very, very spread out. Now I know why you have dinners all the time because you have to have a banquet or something to get everybody together because I think I was one of the closest people that lived in the church beside the Irishes. I moved here. I'm like 4.3 miles away. And you know what? You weren't the closest message church either. Two other message churches closer, but maybe more, only two that I knew of. Uh, it's, but if you if you look at how spread out our lives are and we're all just doing our own little things, you think that's just the simple life. It's the everyday. And we think in our minds that that and the way we live, going to school, teaching, working, all the different things that we do. Then we think this this the seals and the book becoming open, the mighty angel, maybe even the message and the revealing of the son of man. We view it almost as something completely different. Where it's completely separate and we go out and we work 60 hours a week. We raise our kids. We do laundry. We're laboring. We're serving. We're laboring. And somehow in our minds, it's like this is life. But then over here, this is the Son of Man. Over here is the Word. Over here is church. And we're going we're gonna to exit this paradigm and enter into a different one when we come to church. And there's a theme that Brother Bram uses in the seals where he's wanting to take this great, mighty, powerful thing over here called the open of the seven seals in the mundane and the everyday. And he wants to take the two and marry them together. So that you don't ever think that what you're doing here in the mundane, what you're doing here in the everyday, what you're doing as a mother, what you're doing as a husband, what you're doing as a child, even within the home, that it's not disconnected from and it's not relevant to the Son of Man in this hour and the revealing of Christ in this hour. To recognize that they're they're not separate, but they're one and the same. And so this is the theme he begins to identify, and I'll just use different statements from it. But he says, now they had all drawn up. This is in question and answers that you know, March 24th in the morning. He'll have a spear that'll reach a mile long. He'll stand back over here in the Palestine. Just stand up there in one of those white clouds and pick up all these Romans like this and cast them into hell. And just keep going on like that till he gets them all over. Why? They had that all fixed up. And that's quite a remarkable scene. I don't know where he drew that from. If that's written in Josephus or something somewhere. Or someone said they pictured that the Messiah would have... A mile long spear, but Brother Bram's using it, even if it's hyperbole or a way of just being dramatic to make a point that, hey, they thought it would be something that was so noticeable. So evidently the Messiah uh, throwing down and casting down their enemies. He said, and what it was, a little lamb come moving out among them, meek and gentle, pushed around this way and that way. They wanted someone standing on a hill. In Palestine, with a a weapon that could separate the Romans from the Israelites and cast the Romans into hell. But when that very one that was to fulfill their belief in a Messiah came, he was just this humble one who was just moving his way through the crowd. Nobody knew who he was. That day there beyond Bethbara, where John, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing in Bethbara, when he came through that day, he didn't squeeze by somebody and someone go, I think this is the one John was talking about. John was the only one who could identify who it was. He was the only one that could see. He says it was meek and gentle. He pushed his way through that day. He says, even John said, go ask him. Is he actually the one? So humble till that prophet missed it. It was so humble that even John the Baptist, as he's looking at the way the Messiah is living and expressing his life, 
and in its humility of it, the simplicity of it, and how it didn't seem to be fracturing and reverberating like he thought it would be. He wasn't turning things upside down like he thought it would. He's going, well, could this be? He says, it was so humble. And he's identifying the humility of it, the meekness of it, the smallness of it. It was so humble till that prophet the one who introduced him, his forerunner, the very one that stood there and told his disciples, this is the one that I told you about, that I said wasn't worthy. The one you remember, the one I was saying, the one that was coming, this is the one. Now he's doubting, so humble till that prophet missed it. But we're continuing a question and answers on the seals. Now just to see this theme, and I might have got, I, I might have somewhat of the order of how these things are expressed, uh, a little bit out of order, but the theme I hope is un, uh, unbroken. He says, and so if the church, you're not supposed to know these things. So don't put, this is at the very beginning, question answers on the seals. Uh, so don't put no interpretation to anything. And it, if I could recall, it might be in the context of, you know, the church that you go to. If they don't believe these things and you're not supposed to know these things, then, then don't try to put interpretation to it. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to be different or an oddball as he'll make these statements in here. He says, you just go ahead and just remember what you are told. So you want to remember what you're told. Live a Christian life. Go to your church. Be a real light wherever you are and just burn for Christ and tell the people that how you love him. And just let your testimony be with love all the time with the people. And so you're to remember what you're told and live the Christian life. So we won't, don't want to disregard what we're told. We want to remember what we're told. And these various statements have been used to just push away the seals book and go, like, Brother Bram said, you know, just live a Christian life so we don't need this. But he said, remember what you're told. And he says, live the Christian life. He says, just let your testimony be in love all the time. Because if you don't, and this is to me where it begins to stand out to me so vividly. To where I, I think back in the years I've studied this and looked at it and thought, how could I have ever missed just how plainly God is wanting to emphasize the real thrust and the point where he's going to be expressing himself. He says, because if you don't, what? Don't live a Christian life. Don't go to church. Don't be a light. Don't show that you're in love with the gospel and the word. He says, you'll twist yourself out into something there and then you're off the beaten track. So if you get away from the living the Christian life, you actually twist yourself off out of the path that God wants you to be in. Every time you try to do it, you've done that. So just don't try to make no interpretation, especially tonight when the seal becomes up in front of you. Just don't try to interpret it. You just go ahead and just be humble and go right on with the same plain message. When it comes up before you. You just stay humble. Go ahead. Live. Go right on with the same plain message. Now you say, Brother Branham, we be in the church of the living God, shouldn't we? Well, as I was saying, look here, I want to say, say, why can't I? I ought to have. No, 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 don't. You remember. I'm saying this for your good, see. I'm saying it so that you'll understand. If you believe me now, listen to what I tell you. I, I, I take it this way personally, so maybe I'm qualifying this. You, you identify how it strikes me is that there's this idea that if this is what it is, then shouldn't we be doing this? And if this is what it is, shouldn't it be this way? Shouldn't it be that way? Well, we ought to do this and we ought to do that. If this is we're the church of the living God, shouldn't we? He said, no, whatever you do, don't become a fanatic. 
Whatever you do, don't try to interpret this. Don't try to get extreme with this. Just take it for what it is, how it's revealed to you, how it becomes plain to you, and keep living this simple life. I want you to understand this. Believe me, listen to what I tell you. If you let fanaticism pick this up, if you let carnality grab a hold of it, you're going to get away from the real thing of it. And so he's even asked the question, will the bride of Christ have a ministry before the rapture? He says, sure, that's what's going on now. It's the message of the hour, the bride of Christ. She consists of apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. That's the bride of Christ. She's got a ministry, a great ministry. It's the ministry of the hour. It'll be so humble. Again, even when it's, when it's identifying that the bride will have a ministry, there's this qualifier that, listen, it's going to be humble. It's going to be missed. The bride, the bride is not going to have a global ministry that turns all our skeptics and all our critics into our biggest fans. No, it's always so humble that just like Christ, when he's doing things that would evidently declare that the supernatural must be with them, the packaging of it was a turnoff. Therefore, they spoke against the very things he was saying and doing. And it's so humble in the bride to where it's not going to be something that makes everybody think, well, you know, say what you want about them, but they're creating things over there out of nothing. Again, this is just the next paragraph. He says, now remember how many were here the first Sunday, last Sunday. Remember what I preached on? So when he preached the seals, he began the Sunday before he preached the seals with God hiding himself in simplicity. And we'll read the statements here. If I hopefully I have them where he makes mention of it. If not, I'll say it this way. He preaches the sermon and then he comes back when he preaches the seventh seal. He goes, oh, I realize now how important it was for me to start with this. That I started with God hiding himself in simplicity. Because now when the seal is simply becoming open, and brother man, seeing what it is, he realizes it is so simple. You've got to stay humble. It's going to be in simplicity. God hides himself in simplicity. So God is only going to be found where he's hidden. If God hides himself in simplicity, he doesn't reveal himself in some great fantastic. You're only going to be able to find him where he's hiding. And so he says, you remember the, what I preached on? Humility. Oh, don't forget that. I'm going to stop a minute to warn that again. Remember what, when God predicts anything great to happen, the people are looking so far away by their wisdom till they miss what happens. God predicts something great to happen. People are looking so far away with their wisdom, they miss it. He says, when God says anything is great, the world laughs at it. That bunch of ignoramuses. He said, that's right. But when the great world and the great high church said, boy, that's glorious. God says, a bunch of ignoramuses. And I think I, I, I took this part out, but the big brother says, and I'm not saying it's exactly that way, but it is that way. That the world looks at what God does and great and says, oh, that's nothing. There, what is, that, what you, that's nothing to brag about. That's not glorious. That's not wonderful. And then when the world does something and, and it's supposed to be great and a church is doing something great and all this is fantastic. God's looking at it saying, that means nothing to me. Question and answers on the seals again just continue. He says, they didn't understand it. Even the disciples didn't get it. See, that's right. Oh, my simplicity. Be humble. Go right down. When God promises something big, it is big in his sight. Think about that. When God promises something big, it's big in his sight. So we can read a promise and we can say, wow, that's big. But remember, the manifestation of it will be big in his sight. 
Because if you try to fit yourself within that prophecy in your carnal way of how big it's going to be, you're going to feel like you're putting on a coat that's too big. You're going to try to walk in shoes that, you, uh, that, that, that are too big. You're going to try to walk in a path you're not able to walk because you're trying to fit something, achieve something, do something. Because you're trying to make it big because it looks big, but you're trying to make it big in your own mind. But what's big is what's big in God's sight. He says, if it's, he says, if it'd be big in his sight, the blade of grass has life in it. It's so simple and humble. You see, if a man is a big man, all right, but if he's big enough that he can become simple, he will find God. But if he don't become simple, he'll never see him. So you've got to become simple. So this theme that just comes through the question and answers on the seals before he preaches the seventh seal that night of simplicity. Be humble. It'll be a great ministry, but it'll be humble. Live the Christian life. Just burn for Christ. Just go ahead. Just be humble. Go right on with the same plain message. So you've got to become simple. He says it this way. Get humble. Just stay humble. And remember, it's not, it's not something separate to take our simple everyday lives. And our lives are complex. So I don't mean to be uh, dismissive about the complexities of life and the trials that we face through our personal lives. But if we look at it, going to work and going to school and paying the bills and loving our wives and raising our children and all these things. And we think of that life and then we think of the seals over here and we think, wow, this is great. That's awesome. This is just the mundane. This is what I've got to fight through to find time to read about this. And this is what I've got to fight to to go to church to hear about this. Brother Brown is speaking a language that's trying to take the simple and the humble and the everyday and make it part of where Christ is and where he's being made known. And now when it comes to the seventh seal, he says, you notice now from the end of the message, this seal, after all, he's revealed all six seals, but it don't say nothing about the seventh. And the end time seal, when it starts, it'll absolutely be a total secret to the Bible. He says, before knowing that. And remember, Revelations 10, 1, he says, before knowing that, knowing how this seal would open up, and, and, and he's going to interject this here, and I think it's important to catch this part. Before knowing that it would be a secret, it would be silence, then he says, remember, Revelations 10, 1 to 7, chapter 10, 1 to 7, at the end of the seventh angel's message, all the mysteries of God should be made known. We're at the end time, the opening of the seventh seal. He says, before knowing that, he says, now, how did I know the other day, last Sunday, a week ago today, when I was preaching on be humble, be humble. Remember, God deals in little things. I didn't realize what it was really talking about. And now I see it It is in such a humble way. And it's it's directly to the point. We're at the open of the seventh seal. And he's saying, what I preached then, I I understand now how important it was to have preached that. Because if we get the wrong image in our mind, the wrong expectation in our hearts, and we think it's going to be some huge, great, powerful uh, machine that's just going to mow down the devil and chase all the devilish imps out and all the demons and empty out hospitals and not have any problems in the church and a congregation where they all get baptized at 12, speak in tongues at 13, raise the dead at 17, never miss a camp, pay all their tithes, and the families are perfect with no backsliding, and everything's perfectly in that image. If we get that image in our mind, then we'll never see the supernatural. He's just bringing this image up before us. Just stay humble. 
Be humble. Remember, God deals in little things. I didn't realize what it was really talking about. And now I see it. It's in such a humble way. You think that something like that would be revealed to the Vatican or comes just like, but it comes just like John the Baptist. You would think something like that. The opening of the seventh seal would come to the Vatican. It seems like a really ridiculous statement coming from Brother Branham because we're like, well, no, we don't think that. But that's how the carnal mind thinks. It's got to be something glorious like that. Something pronounced, something visual, something profound. But it comes like, you catch the connection, but it comes like John the Baptist. So who is standing there? The very one in the spirit of Elijah. In a building that was only remodeled for his ministry. They didn't build a new church. They didn't build a great cathedral. They didn't put something together where people could come by the thousands and be comfortable for a month at a time in this great cathedral-like edifice where everyone could just worship and the seals could be preached. No, he came to a place that was very simple in Jeffersonville. And it was a packed room for sure, but it certainly was not anything that a ministry that, would, that you would think the seven seals is going to be open to. He says it comes like John the Baptist. It comes like the birth of our Lord in a stable. Glory to God, so help me. The hour is at hand. We are here. Amen. And he's saying it right after he says, I didn't realize what I was preaching. Be humble. Be humble. Remember, God deals in the little things. It says in the seventh seal, don't try to interpret the things. Don't try to do anything more than just live a close life, giving praise and honor to Jesus Christ. Everybody understand that now. Love him with all your heart. Not trying to separate you from what the seals mean. But trying to bring you to the place where the real meaning of the seals can be expressed. He says in the seventh seal again, now, now do you notice the over the seventh seal? It's also in a threefold mystery. This one I have, he says, will speak, have spoke, that it is the mystery of the seven thunders. The seven thunders in heaven will unfold this mystery. It'll be right at the coming of Christ. Because Christ said no one knew when he would return. I skipped just a little bit. Christ said only God himself knowed, not the angels. No wonder it wasn't even written. You see, they hush. Nothing take place then. Angels don't know it. Nobody knows when he's coming. But there'll be seven voices of these thunders that will reveal the great revelation at that time. I believe to thus who? It's a fragment. If we don't know it, and it won't be known till that time, but it will be revealed in that day, in the hour that it's supposed to be revealed in. Catch the, catch the point. Again, I'll, I'll say it before I read it. And I'm not trying to condition you just to accept it. That it's in this way I'm expressing it. I pray that God would give you the, the, the balance and the understanding that's necessary for you to, to achieve what God's wanting to achieve in your life. But he says, he's saying these things and he makes this statement. So the thing for us to do is to be reverent before God and serve him and do all that we know how to do and live good Christian lives. He's not saying that to completely diminish the value of everything he had been preaching since the Sunday before. Beginning with God and simplicity, the breach, the first seal, all the way to the sixth seal. Then he preaches questions and answers. And now it's Sunday evening after the end of this great week. He's not trying to say, now that we've just spent a week preaching this, forget all about it and just go live a simple Christian life. 
I know I've gone on now for these seven days. We're in this eighth day now preaching this. I know it's a lot. I know a lot to take in. But you know what? Just forget all about it. Go back and live a simple Christian humble life. Everything's going to be okay. He was wanting us to catch the revelation that everything he is going to be, had been preaching, if it's going to make a difference, if it's going to manifest, if it's going to be seen, if it's going to be known, it's going to be known in your flesh. It's going to be expressed to your lives. It's going to make a difference where it matters in your everyday. Live good Christian lives, he says. He says, now, just coming back to question and answers on the seals. He says, now, take my advice as your brother. Don't put your own interpretation to anything. You just go on and live a good Christian life. Because you only wind yourself away from the real thing when you do it. What's the real thing? It's the life of Christ. What came to us? Which, at the quickening, power came to us to open the seals. Quickening power lets us see it's coming. It's got to be quickening power through the life. You just go on live a good Christian life because you only wind yourself away from the real thing when you do. You only wind your way again away from the thing. And all of you are conscious and know that there's something mysterious happening. And it is happening. And I know what it is. Now remember about the third pool and how he had this commission to not explain it, to say too much. Now he's saying, I know what's happened. You realize something is happening. I know it is. He says, I've told you before, just don't try to put any interpretation, but just believe me as your brother. We're living in a great hour. We're living in a great time where the... He goes, well, we're... It's almost as if he's wanting to say what it is he knows. He's wanting to just go ahead and say it, but then he stops and he says, you just be real humble. Be a Christian and try to live for God and live honest with your fellow man and love those who don't love you. Don't try to make it. You see, you, you do. You only make it a mysterious something and mess the real program of God up. He's wanting to say it what it is. He's wanting to just say, this is what it is. This is what's happened. He says, but he comes back to the principle. Just live a good Christian life. Just be humble. Be a Christian. Try to live for God. Because if you stop living the life, you're getting away from what it is that's being expressed. You mess up the real program of God. Because what is God's program? What is God's intention? What is it? How is it that God does something? He's asked the question, should we continue in evangelism? He's asked the question, is the day of grace over? And both times in question and answers on the seals, is the day of grace over? Should we continue in evangelism? He answers with the same theme each time he answers. And the answer holds a mystery to what Brother Bram is emphasizing in the question and answers and that evening on the seventh seal. He uses this language. Let me share it with you very quickly. Just picking these phrases out through here. He says, if you're planting wheat, plant your wheat. If you're big digging potatoes, go on and dig them out. If I knowed he was coming tomorrow and I was a farmer, I'd put my crop in today. If he made me a farmer, I'm going to stay right at my duty. If I'm hoeing potatoes, I'll just be hoeing away just as hard as I can. He's asked, is the day of grace over? And this is how he answers. He's asked, should we continue in evangelism? This is how he answers. Dig the potatoes. Go to church and write on. If I take, if it takes place in the morning, you be found doing just exactly what you're supposed to be doing. He says, don't start when you do. You twist the very thing away from the purpose that it's intended for. 
He's not alluding to a different purpose. He's identifying the purpose. These things that he preached are so that you can hoe your potatoes the right way. You can plant your corn the right way. You can live a life in your homes as husbands and as wives, as children, as a family dynamic. These things are preached so that you can go and have a comfort, an assurance, a confidence, a faith, a no-so, a believing in these things. Not that it would be one thing 24-7, uh, five days at nine to five, five days a week, and then another thing on Sunday. But so that you would realize this thing has become a union. This thing has come together. There's a fusion now of who I am as a man. There's a fusion now of who I am as a husband, who I am as a father, as a brother, as a minister. These things have all been fused together with the present Christ. And I'm never away from it. I'm never off duty. I'm never on vacation. I never have an excuse to not let this word have preeminence. In no relationship, in no situation, in no difficulty or trial, whether paying my taxes or receiving a bonus at work, I must live simple and I must walk before God with integrity. Just keep going. Because Brother Bantam writes, God's intention for His creation, man is to express His words. In Genesis, Adam was given the Word to live by. A life lived by the Word would be the Word expressed. A life lived by the Word would be the Word expressed. And God put it on my heart this week. I was wanting to preach. I just share something. I even thought maybe I'd just share my heart with you and testify. And express how much we love you as a body. Our experiences together. How much Brother Barry's meant to me and these things. And, and I realized maybe I was just making it more about me. And the Lord kept speaking in my heart, a life lived by the seventh seal. A life lived by the seventh seal. And I went and I found notes that I'd put together I'd never preached before. A life lived by the seventh seal. Realizing this is, this is where I can encourage you. Because he said a life lived by the word would be the word expressed. In the message, Shalom, he says, now good morning means peace. Darkness is gathering. What's it gathering for to show the light? Isaiah 60, rise and shine for the light has come to you. That's the reason I can say, Shalom, the light has come to you. God's peace to the elected woman, to the elected lady. Those who God, before the foundation of the world, called out and ordained to that. The rest of them will never see it. They'll never know nothing about it. He says several paragraphs later, this is a new day. Hallelujah. This is a day that we should rise and shine in the power of Christ. Gross darkness is settling upon the earth. There should, this should be a new day for us indeed. Doing it just the way he does it. How did Christ do it? All by the word and humility. Doing it just the way that he does it. That means we don't get an idea of how he would do it and then we do it how he would do it. We just let him do it. Because that's the way he does it. He does it himself. Light has come to us. Shalom. The rest of them will never see it. But now is the time that we should rise up in the power of Christ. What is it? It's doing it just the way he does it. And he says in the, the seventh seal again. This is paragraph 394. He says, here now we find that the sixth seal is open to us. We see it. And we know that the seventh seal... We know that the seventh seal cannot be broke to the public until that hour arrives. Now, there was some reason that God let the seven voices be thundered. 
we find that Christ the Lamb took the book in his hand and he opened the seventh seal. But you see, it's a hidden mystery. No one knows about it. But it's right along with what he said. No one would know his coming. They would not know about this seventh thunder mystery. You see, it's connected together. This may seem to be a theological point or a doctrinal point, but it's an important point. He connects the seals to the opening of the seventh seal. The the opening of the seventh seal to the seven thunders. The mysterious part of Revelation 8, the silence. The fact that the seven thunders uttered and they're not written about. There's things he sees this parallel of what's a secret, what's not known, what's not being expressed. He's tying them all together. He said, but there's a reason he let these seven thunders be uttered. Now, part of the mystery of Revelation chapter 10 is that there's a there's a worldwide ministry that follows that's expressed in John. Go and prophesy again. There's a prophesying again. There's a speaking that takes place again. And Brother Branham even uses a language at one point. He says, uh, that's the thunder that shakes the devil. Thousands of lived voices thundering out against the devil. So he says it all it's all connected together. That much we have an understanding of it today because the rest of all of it's all unfolded. But this is not unfolded. But set into my room, I've seen it unfold to the seven thunders. Now, that's as far as we go right there, because remember, he wants to say more, but he doesn't. Earlier, when he said that, he says, well, we're there. We're living in a time when he says, well, you just be real humble, be a Christian and try to try to live for God and live honest. He comes to it now. He says, that's as far as we can go right there. And now I trust. Now, he's not changing the subject. He's not closing the book and saying, now let's talk about something else. He's given us a key and a principle to really tap it into what's taking place. And now I trust that each and every one of you will serve God and do that which is right and love him with all your life and serve him. And God will take care of the rest. That this part of the seventh seal, this unfolding, this very thing that I know what has happened, this very thing that I can only go so far and I can't say enough. If you'll just humble yourself, serve God, do what is right, love Him, serve Him, God will take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest of the unfolding. He'll take care of the rest of the unveiling. He'll take care of the rest of the revealing. Because where would it unfold? How? How does it unfold? The hidden mysteries manifested through you. He says, and turn on the light, because this, this connects with the theme in Shalom. He says, from all the way back from Luther and all the way down through the age, it ought to be the fullness of the gospel now. The power of God to ripen. Light has been shown through justification, sanctification, the Pentecostal age. It ought to ripen the bride tree for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he defines it this way. That Christ could be manifested in his church as one person, him and his wife, him and his bride. It ought to come to a place towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ is manifested in His church as one person, Him and His wife and His bride. Amen. This is the hour we're living in. This is the light of the day. Walk in it. Walk faith. Live in it. This isn't something that we're just accepting mentally and we believe it as some sort of doctrine. Say, well, we believe the seals are open. We believe the seven thunders have been revealed. Brother Branham is the seventh angel messenger. We believe those things. All right, let's just go ahead and put that on a shelf over there. We believe that. Now let's just do other things. No, it's listen. He said, no, take this and just walk in it. Live it. Express it. 
to mind the authority of it to where it governs you, where, where, you, where you recognize it's present with you. You identify its promises to you. He says, walk in it. Just believe it and walk in it, accept in it. You watch more unfold is the way he uses the language. Accept it, believe it, walk in the light, watch more unfold. And then the manifestation is his responsibility. Keep walking. It's, it's, if you keep walking, that's where the change comes. Just keep walking, the change will come. Just keep walking, the supernatural will happen. You look at the supernatural, it always just happens on an ordinary day at an ordinary time. That's when it happens. Just doing what you're supposed to do. David's just a, he's a sheep herder. Nothing special about that day. There actually was a special gathering with the prophet and he wasn't even invited. Just out doing what he's supposed to do. Minding his own business. And it was then that he was summoned by a prophet to be anointed to be king. The day he defeated Goliath, he didn't get up that morning and say, today's the day. I'm going to be a hero for Israel. No, he was an errand boy. Take some cheese to some captains. Take some bread to his brothers. And that was the day he defeated Goliath. And that's why Brother Branham says, don't stop farming. Don't stop planting. Don't stop digging. Don't stop sowing. Don't stop raising your children. Don't stop going to church. Don't stop. Just keep living the life. Because if you're going to see the supernatural, it's just going to happen while you're living. If you're going to have a change of your body, it's not going to happen because we figured out the logistics to have all the bride gathered together with social distancing and masks so we can have the great climactic third pool church convention that's going to change everybody in their atoms as they sit on a pew. No, the change is going to happen. One's going to be in the field. One's going to be in the bed. You're just going to be living your life. Do what you're supposed to do. And that's how the change is going to come. Brother Branham taught us that the divine healing was a type. Uh, 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 that was a type of the change of our body. And he told the story one time of how a woman, uh, this woman had come in a prayer line and she had, I'll just read the statement, a woman had stomach trouble. Another one with a growth on her neck and the Spirit of the Lord told them they were healed. Told her to go home and eat. Why the woman couldn't eat. She tried for six weeks nearly and she just make herself sick, but she kept trying. And one morning while in breakfast, the dishes were being washed. She felt a cool something sweep over her and she found out she could eat. She ran to her neighbor, the other woman that had been prayed for, to tell her about it. And she found her neighbor just screaming and shouting. The growth was on her neck had left. Now, you can take this principle and apply it on any kind of spectrum. Even if you want to look at it this way as believers who've received a rapturing message. Believe that the rapture's on. Don't be dismayed. Things aren't out of cater. Things aren't out of order. We don't need to try to go back and manufacture something that's going to trigger the rapture. Because we're more dynamic. We're more charismatic. We're more expressive. We're doing more things that are energetic. And it seems like it's more lively. And this is what we think it ought to be. No, no. Keep living the life. Go. God made the promise. You've accepted it. You've done it all these years. Don't let go of it. Just keep doing what you know to do. Keep doing what you're doing, Hickory Bible Tabernacle. I can testify it's beautiful. Don't stop. Stay with it. And that's what they did. They just went right back to washing dishes. 
Went right back to raising their children. Right back doing what they were always supposed to do. Whatever you have in this church as an usher, as a deacon, as a trustee, as an organizer, as an associate ministries here. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Don't be discouraged by the critics. Don't be discouraged by the skeptics. Stay true to this revealed word that's preached over this pulpit. Some people might feel that it needs to be more slides on the seventh seal or more slides on the revealing of the seven thunders, more slides on the coming of the Lord. If you're listening, it's being preached, but it's being brought right down to home where it matters. What good would that open of that seal mean if I couldn't love my wife correctly? What good would it mean if I'm not learning to discipline correctly? What good would these things be? But I thank God that this is the good I need. He says she's sitting there. It had left. What was it? The angel of the Lord six weeks later passed through that neighborhood. What it was is the angel of God had seen her faith and was passing through the neighborhood. You know what it was? It was the angel of the Lord passing through that neighborhood of those things that he had pronounced. If he pronounces it, it's his obligation, not mine or yours. It's your obligation to keep on believing. It's my obligation to stay here and work for him. The only thing you're obligated to do is to keep believing. But if he's pronounced it over you, if he's the one that made the promise, it's his obligation to see it through. They're just going about their daily lives. Just living the simple life, washing the dishes. And that's when their healing was made manifest. Just doing the ordinary. What did Brother Bram say about the rapture? He says, just a sudden, there'll be a sweep go over us. And you changed. Just the same language he uses, he says, she felt a cool something sweep over her. And she found out she could eat. Where did it happen? At a dishwashing basin. Washing dishes. And the angel of the Lord visited. Brother Benham says, now we find that the sixth seal has opened to us. And he says, I trust that each one of you, every one of you will serve God and do that which is right and love him with all your life and serve him. And God will take care of the rest. This is the light of the day. Walk in it. This is what Satan tries to confuse. This is why all hell is against, I believe, the opening of the seals. Because it gets down to where it really, really matters. If we were a cult that just gathered in caves somewhere, you know, in secret, we're just a secret society, and we listened to tapes, and then when we left, nobody knew. That we just had this secret club, and we're always trying to give secret symbols to one another. You know, so everyone would know. That who we are, you know, and, and everybody's clueless. Like, well, that was kind of a weird handshake. What was that? But no, what we believe, we live. And people can say, well, are you a Christian? Say, well, just watch my life. I'll let you decide. And if I'm not, you let me know. It's not something secret. It's something that lives, is lived out. And I, I can maybe express it as a question. Can you see? The unfold of the seventh seal and why Brother Branham said what he said about being humble, being simple, planting your potatoes, live for Christ. Because your life matters. Your holiness matters. Your consecration matters. The way that you live, it's all expressing this great life that's been opened up to us. 
But Abraham said in the harvest time, the son of man, the word living itself again among the people, the word itself made flesh in you. You are a reflection of this hour. The message you live again. You live the life that was in Jesus Christ. You're in the presence of the son. I'd like to close by reading our text. He said, you live again. You live the life. And Jesus said, I and my father are one. He said, when you've seen me, my life, the way I've lived, you've seen God, you've seen the Father. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him again, to stone him. And Jesus said, what good works have I done from my father that makes you want to stone me? There is a uh, there is a specific maybe group of acts that they could public they would have publicly seen. And he said, now, which one of these things are you stoning me for? And they said, not for any good work, but for blasphemy, because thou being a man, make thyself God. And I can say the same criticisms are levied against you. You being humans, you being people, you being carnal. You've elevated yourself to a position of the bride of Christ, the queen of heaven. To believe that you're the word made flesh today. And that's what the Bible teaches us. And it's what the message reveals. Is that there is once again on earth a people that are called by his name. Who are himself in flesh living everyday lives. Amen. The fullness of God in his bride. In his, in, in his wife. To bring to a climax what he's been ch- trying to achieve through all the ages. And it's the oneness, the God-likeness. It's what Jesus is expressing here. That's what enraged the skeptic. That's why they took up stones to stone him. He's quick to say, was it because I spoke in tongues? Was it because I did this? Was it because I did that? Is is that why you want to stone me? Is it because all these signs and wonders go, no, no, uh uh-uh. None of that matters. It's the fact that you make yourself God. That's why we we want to stone you. And Brother Bram says, but there's got to be something that cannot be denominated. Something come. Well, he says, been many churches, churches, brides, brides, but there must come one. Something that cannot be denominated. It's the entirety of the life that's in there has to produce itself again on the bride. And he talks about Luther, Wesley, sanctification. And then the Pentecost. He says, then come Pentecost, the restoration of the gifts. But they denominated. But when you come to say, I and my father are one and these other things. This is why it's got to be personal. It's not identified with a a building. It's not identified with the church. It's not identified with names. It's identified with you. The the, the building could go. You can change locations. The first time I ever preached at this church, it was somewhere else, on a hill somewhere else. A totally different building. And I say, well, if I only identified the church as being that building, then this is a different church. But there's people here who were there then. Why? Because the, the, the church is not just a, a building. It's not just identified with the man. It's something different. But then this is something even more granular. It's you, the person. I and my father are one in these other things. Then the shuck pulls away from it. But the real, genuine bride church will bring forth the entire word of God in its fullness and in its strength. For he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Full word being born in the manifestation. Not according to our paradigm of what it should look like. Not using the metrics that we would use. Not trying to put together this, this book of acts and this book of ideas and books of things that should be done. But it was the acts of the Holy Ghost. Yielding to Him. Letting the Word have preeminence. Letting it, let it take hold. 
Let it use you. Let it lead you and let it guide you. So it's not according to our own carnal expectations. Otherwise, we make the mistake of the very ones we talked about in the beginning. But it's the word lived out in your life, hidden behind humility. I'm going to ask my wife to come. There was a song that we had, I had actually asked her if she could sing. It's a song that she's going to sing. I think Brother Joseph Cockman's going to help her write it. But I wanted to save this for the end so that just I could just leave you with this and then have her sing. It might just be her way of saying goodbye to you as well. But a life lived by the seventh seal. Brother Barron says you've got to believe it. There's got to be something there. Open that damper. And open that thing to let you in on it. This whole, even this the understanding of these, this message, the opening of these seals, there's got to be something open to you, but he says you've got to believe it. He says what we need today is not to pray for more power. You've got enough power to make it earth. What you need is faith to use that power. What you need is to control that life, live such a godly life that when you ask God for anything, you know we have confidence in God. We know if we keep his commandments, he'll withhold no good thing from us if we walk with him. God walking with us. It's not that we need more power, more impersonation of power, more dynamics, more charismatic in a carnal sense. But we just need more faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Keep feeding, keep listening, keep humbling yourself to it. Keep living it. And it'll be a life lived by the seventh seal. Because a life lived by the word is the word expressed. Could you just bow your heads before she, pray, she plays? And I'll, I'd just like to say a prayer for you. We love you very much. We appreciate you. We'll be further away geographically. But we'll be knit together with one heart. And I, I pray that we'll, we'll be together again soon. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as I close this service, I just wanted to pray a, a prayer of blessing over your people. Lord, this is a special church to Elizabeth and I. It's our home church. I thank you, Lord, that you took my path here so that when I go forward, this would be my home church that I, came, that I was sent from, Lord. I'm proud of that, Lord. Just as a man, I'm thankful for it. And Lord, it was a year ago this week that I made the decision to move here. I made it because you told me to just choose. We could have gone anywhere, Lord. We had offers, we had opportunities. A lot of them great, Lord, but we chose to come here. And you blessed it, Father. You did wonderful things for me and my family, and we're thankful. I pray, Father, you bless your people. Bless this church. Lord, if there's been less of a, a usual, a norm of activities, a flurry of events, may this church know that with every life lived it's making a difference whatever zip code it may be whatever area code it might be in the body living its life doing its thing doing it's supposed to do it's a life lived by the seventh seal it's Christ being expressed it's Christ being made manifest and they've been that to my wife and I my children they've been Christ to us 
And I pray, Lord, you would encourage them to continue to live it, to believe it with all their hearts, and to walk in it. And it's not that they need more power, needs to be this or be that, but just more word upon word upon word will produce what you want to produce. Even as our pastor said in the very beginning, to bring us, to give us an expected end. Lord, if you're going to give an expected end, we receive it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commit it to you and we love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
bless you. Let's stand to our feet. God is good, isn't he? God provides. God speaks to us. And I just... uh, I'm glad we came to church today. God's word is always good. Let's sing that little chorus, I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. And uh, we just worship a little bit today, and we'll give you a chance as we dismiss to... Uh, say goodbye to the McGarry's for now, and uh, you know um, it, w- it would be it would be really nice. You know, it, I guess in in human terms, it'd be really nice if people came together. We stayed together, and no one ever left. You know, there was no never any parting. And the only thing we experienced was people coming. Uh, that would be really nice, but it's not God's intent. If it was God's intent for people to come together, stay together, He never would have suffered the early church to be broken up. But there's a reason why in an assembly that God will raise up young men and train them and, uh, you know, see them go out and minister and begin their own work. It's the same reason that God allows for young men and women to be raised in a family. So there comes a point where they go out and they begin their own family. It's a continual process of change that goes on. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a way that this life is. Don't get used to it because in the world to come it won't be like that. Right? We'll come together, we'll stay together, we'll enjoy eternity together, and it'll be a, it'll be a different thing altogether. But in this life, uh, you know, we, we welcome, we embrace. There's a time to embrace, like Solomon said, and a time to let go. And uh, there's, there's seasons for all of those things. But we are grateful for uh, the McGarry's, and uh, just trust that the Lord will be with them, as we've said. Let's sing the worship just a little bit this morning. I will pray.
say too, I appreciate the, the work that was done this week by the families that uh, helped out and helped packing and so forth and were free to be able to do that the, to this evening and for the meals and different things that were a great help to uh, assisting them. We appreciate that very much. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be
Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence today, Lord, it's been good for us to be in the house of the Lord. And even though our hearts, Lord, are touched by the sadness of the moment, Father, we know that you always have good things in store for your people. And Lord, so we just come in, Brother Aaron, Sister Elizabeth, and all the children, Lord, into your hands and into your care, that you might lead them and guide them according to your perfect will. We thank you for their time with us. And now, Lord Jesus, may we as an assembly, Lord, we join our hearts together and hold them up in prayer that, Father, you would just use them for your glory. Lord, there's many, many needs. There's many, many uh, reasons why you would raise up good men, good ministers, and send them into the world to preach the gospel. And so, Father God, we just pray that they would influence many towards the kingdom. Lord, we just join our hearts together. We link arms together and desire, Lord, to work for the same goal, the same purpose. And, Lord, may you just anoint them, keep danger from their path, guide them as they travel, and we'll commit them into your care in Jesus' lovely name. Bless those who are sick, those who need your touch today, Lord. We commit every need to you, believing that you care for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you as you go this morning. Let's sing that little chorus. This is my desire to honor you as we leave this morning. May God bless you as you go. This is my desire to honor Oh, 